Section 7 of A Lady's Visit to the Gold Diggings of Australia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lady's Visit to the Gold Diggings of Australia by Ellen Clacy. Section 7. An Adventure. Sunday the 3rd. A fine morning. After our usual service, Frank, my brother and myself, determined on an exploring expedition, and off we went, leaving the dinner in charge of the others. We left the busy throng of the diggers far behind us, and wandered into spots where the sound of the pick and the shovel, or the noise of human traffic, had never penetrated. The scene and the day were in unison, all was harmonious, majestic and serene. Those mighty forests, hushed in a sombre and awful silence, those ranges of undulating hill and dale, never yet trodden by the foot of man, the soft still air, so still that it left every leaf unruffled, flung an intensity of awe over our feelings, and led us from a contemplation of nature to worship nature's God. We sat in silence for some while, deeply impressed by all around us and while still sitting and gazing there, a change almost imperceptibly came over the face of both earth and sky. The forest swayed to and fro, a sighing moaning sound was borne upon the wind, and a noise as of the rush of waters, dark massive clouds rolled over the sky, till the bright blue heavens were completely hidden. And then, ere we had recovered from our first alarm and bewilderment, the storm, in its unmitigated fury, burst upon us. The rain fell in torrents, and we knew not where to turn. Taking me between them, they succeeded in reaching an immense she-oak, under which we hoped to find some shelter till the violence of the rain had diminished. Nor were we disappointed, though it was long before we could venture to leave our place of refuge. At length, however, we did so, and endeavoured to find our way back to Eaglehawk Gully. Hopeless task! The ground was so slippery, it was as much as we could do to walk without falling. The mud and dirt clung to our boots, and the heavy rain beat against our faces and nearly blinded us. It is clearing up to windward, observed Frank. Another half hour, and the rain will be all but over. Let us return to our tree again. We did so. Frank was correct. In less than the time he had specified, a slight drizzling rain was all of the storm that remained. With much less difficulty, we again attempted to return home. But before very long, we made the startling discovery that we had completely lost our way, and, to add to our misfortune, the small pocket compass, which Frank had brought with him, and which would have now so greatly assisted us, was missing most probably dropped from his pocket during the skirmish to get under shelter. We still wandered along till stopped by the shades of evening, which came upon us. There is little or no twilight in Australia. We seated ourselves upon the trunk of a fallen tree, wet, hungry, and worst of all, ignorant of where we were. Shivering with cold, and our wet garments hanging most uncomfortably around us, 
we endeavoured to console one another by reflecting that the next morning we could not fail to reach our tents. The rain had entirely ceased, and providentially for us the night was pitch dark. I say providentially, because, after having remained for two hours in this wretched plight, a small light in the distance became suddenly visible to us all, so distant that but for the intensity of the darkness it might have passed unnoticed. "'Thank God!' simultaneously burst from our lips. "'Let us hasten there,' cried Frank. "'A whole night like this may be your sister's death, and would ruin the constitution of a giant.' To this we gladly acceded, and were greatly encouraged by perceiving that the light remained stationary. But it was a perilous undertaking. Luckily my brother had managed to get hold of a long stick with which he sounded the way, for either large stones or water-holes would have been awkward customers in the dark. Wonderful to relate, we escaped both, and when, within hailing distance of the light, which we perceived came from a torch held by someone, we shouted with all our remaining strength, but without diminishing our exertions, to reach it. Soon, with feelings that only those who have encountered similar dangers can understand, answering voices fell upon our ears. Eagerly we pressed forward, and in the excitement of the moment we relinquished all hold of one another, and attempted to wade through the mud singly. "'Stop! Halt!' cried more than one stentorian voice. But the warning came too late. My feet slipped, a sharp pain succeeded by a sudden chill, a feeling of suffocation, of my head being ready to burst, and I remembered no more. When I had recovered consciousness it was late in the morning, for the bright sun shone upon the ground through the crevices of a sailcloth tent, and so different was all that met my eyes to the dismal scene through which I had lay so lately passed, and which yet haunted my memory, that I felt some sweet feeling of relief which we experience when, waking from some horrid vision, we become convinced how unsubstantial are its terrors, and are ready to smile at the pain they excited. That I was in a strange place became evident, and among the distant hum of voices which ever and anon broke the silence, not one familiar tone could I recognise. I endeavoured to raise myself so as to hear more distinctly, and then it was that an acute pain in the ankle of the right foot gave me pretty strong evidence as to the reality of last night's adventures. I was forced to lie down again, but not before I had espied a handbell which lay within reach on a small barrel near my bed. Determined as far as possible to fathom the mystery, I rang a loud peal with it, not doubting but what it would bring my brother to me. My surprise and delight may be easier imagined than described, when, as though in obedience to my summons, I saw a small white hand push aside the canvas at one corner of the tent, and one of my own sex entered. She was young and fair, her step was soft, and her voice almost musically gentle. Her eyes were a deep blue, and a rich brown was the colour of her hair, which she wore in very short curls all around her head, and parted on one side, which almost gave her the appearance of a pretty boy. These little particulars I noticed afterwards. At that time I only felt that her gentle voice and kind friendliness of manner inexpressibly soothed me. 
After having bathed my ankle, which I found to be badly sprained and cut, she related, as far as she was acquainted with them, the events of the previous evening. I learnt that these tents belonged to a party from England, of one of whom she was the wife, and the tent in which I lay was her apartment. They had not been long at the diggings, and preferred the spot where they were to the more frequented parts. The storm of yesterday had passed over them without doing much damage, and as their tents were well painted over the tops, they managed to keep themselves tolerably dry. But later in the evening, owing to the softness of the ground, one of the side-posts partly gave way, which aroused them all, and torches were lit, and every one busied in trying to prop it up till morning. While thus engaged, they heard our voices calling for help. They answered, at the same time getting ready some more torches before advancing to meet us, as they were several pit-holes between us and them. Their call for us to remain stationary came too late to save me from slipping into one of their pits, thereby spraining my ankle, and otherwise hurting myself, beside being buried to my forehead in mud and water. The pit was not quite five feet deep, but, unfortunately for myself in this instant, I belonged to the pocket edition of the feminine sex. They soon extricated me from this perilous situation, and carried me to their tents, where, by the assistance of my new friend, I was divested of the mud that still clung to me, and placed in the bed. Before morning the storm, which we had all thought had passed over, burst forth with redoubled fury. The flashes of lightning were succeeded by loud peals of thunder, and the rain came splashing down. Their tents were situated in a slight rise, or they would have run great risk of being washed away. Every hole was filled with water, and the she-oak, of whose friendly shelter we had availed ourselves the evening before, was struck by lightning, shivered into a thousand pieces. After a while the storm abated and the warm sun and a drying wind were quickly removing all traces of it. Frank and my brother, after an early breakfast, had set off for Eagle Hawk Gully, under the guidance of my fair friend's husband, who knew the road thither very well. It was only three miles distant. He was to bring back with him a change of clothing for me, as his wife had persuaded my brother to leave me in her charge till I had quite recovered from the effects of the accident which he more readily promised, she observed, as we are not quite strangers, having met once before. This awakened my curiosity, and I would not rest satisfied until fully acquainted with the how, when, and where. Subsequently she related to me some portion of the history of her life, which it will be no breach of confidence to repeat here. Short as it is, however, it is deserving of another chapter. End of section 7